things we are forced to name. Chapter 12 Friends Hello? Oh, Crowley, it's you. It was Aziraphale. Crowley nearly cried with relief that for once it wasn't a sibling who answered the door. It wasn't exactly the best reception, but admittedly it wasn't the worst either. At least the door was still open, hadn't been slammed in his face. Aziraphale. He sounded awed. Horse. Cleared his throat. <clears> hey, <throat> hey, I was wondering if you had some time to talk. Thought maybe we could go for a walk or something. What do you want, Crowley? And Crowley had never heard him sound like that before, or at least had never heard him sound like that toward Crowley. Not even when they were strangers, and he never wanted to hear it again, never wanted to hear his name spoken by Aziraphale with such disdain, such dismissal. I just want to talk, I promise. Please, Aziraphale. He would beg if he had to, had decided that, when it came to Aziraphale, his pride just wasn't worth it. If he was going to be honest, he had to be vulnerable, and yeah, maybe it had taken him a few days to get there, but he was there now, was fully prepared to grovel, if that's what it took for Aziraphale to listen to him. Please. He repeated, quieter, nearly a whisper, trying to hide the edge of desperation in his voice, trying to speak quietly enough that it wouldn't poke out around the edges of the word and scare Aziraphale off. The blonde lifted and dropped his shoulders in a monumental sigh. He looked so tired, so old and worn and down, and seeing it made something in Crowley's chest twang like a plucked cord, made his hands ache to reach out and just touch him, try to comfort him the best he could. But he knew that wouldn't be welcome right now, that Aziraphale would probably flinch away from him, and that would be so much worse, so he kept his hands behind his back, fingers gripped tight together. Fine, let me grab my coat. He closed the door, and Crowley couldn't help the bright flare in his chest, hope and nerves and excitement, and oh fuck, he had to get this right. It wasn't long before the door opened again, Aziraphale now bundled up against the cold, matching hat and gloves and scarf, and Christ, Crowley loved him, couldn't think why on earth he had decided that the best, only, option he had was to cut this out of his life. Being around Aziraphale felt like breathing again, like he somehow eased the still bright ache of Crowley's broken rib, made him feel whole. Fuck. They wandered down the street, toward the tiny park a few blocks away, just an empty lot someone had decided to plant a few trees in, the kind of place a family might go for a picnic during the summer. So? Aziraphale asked before they had even got half a block away from his house. What was it you wanted to talk about? I... I... Fuck, fuck, fuck. I wanted to apologize and explain what happened uh, when I... He swallowed. That night, because I don't think I explained it very well at the time and I just... He closed his eyes for a second, tried to get a firm grasp on the dizzying swirl of his thoughts. Just want you to hear me out, and you don't even have to say anything if you don't want to, just please, please listen. And why should I? You said yourself that you're a liar. How can I know you aren't just going to lie to me again? Oh, it hurt, it hurt to know that he had succeeded, that he had managed to convince Aziraphale that Crowley had fought their whole relationship in dishonesty, just as a way to entertain himself for a while. I... 
I don't know. But if you could just, just pretend to trust me for a little bit. If you just listen, you'll see. You'll see that I, that I... That you what? Aziraphale sounded almost bored, like he was already tired of this conversation, like he regretted agreeing to this walk, and it threw Crowley further into panic. That it wasn't true. I didn't mean any of those things. None of them. So you said. No, I mean, I mean, that part wasn't true. I'd never lie. Well, that wasn't true anymore, was it? I've only lied to you once. That wasn't really true either. He lied by omission all the time, or offered little white lies to protect himself, but Crowley had only lied about important things, only lied maliciously, once. Ha! Yeah, the whole of our relationship, you already said. You explained yourself perfectly well before, Crowley. I really don't need you coming back to rub it in. I'm not... that isn't... <sighs> just hold on a second. Hold on, let me start over. Please, I just want to explain from the beginning. Do whatever you want, Crowley. I certainly can't stop you. Aziraphale wouldn't even look at him, just kept his eyes fixed forward as they walked. God, he had been so stupid. How had it never occurred to him that no matter how much he tried to plan for what Aziraphale might say, how much he tried to prepare himself in advance, actually hearing his dismissal, his obvious disinterest in what Crowley had to say, would be so much worse. He could feel his lower lip wobbling, bit down on it savagely to make it stop. When I left your house that morning, Christmas morning, I was... I was so happy, Aziraphale. You have no idea, just... just so happy. But when I got home, my... my dad was there, and, well, I didn't know he was going to be home, so I didn't leave a note or anything, and I was wearing one of his suit jackets, because I didn't have any, and I knew your family would be all dressed up for... What's your point, Crowley? I don't have time for this. I don't have time for you. It was so clear that Crowley nearly heard it, felt the sting of the words like a slap across the face, sharper than the icy wind blowing past them. He threatened you. He said... He said if he ever saw you again, ever saw us again... His voice cracked, but he forced himself to keep talking. And I panicked. I couldn't... I wouldn't let that happen, Aziraphale. I would never want you to get... to get hurt because of me, because of something stupid that I did. Aziraphale was silent, the only noise their muffled footsteps and the sharp, singing whistle of the wind. Here, one of my ribs got um cracked and I... I had to leave, but I didn't have anywhere to go, and I was just so scared, Aziraphale. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to keep you safe, so I decided I had to... I had to lie to you. I had to pretend that what we had didn't... didn't matter to me, that I didn't... love you. He couldn't get the words out. It felt too much like cracking open his chest, and Aziraphale might not even want to hear it anymore. He had to accept that. So I just wanted... wanted to tell you that. And to say that I'm so, so sorry, and I understand of you... He tried to swallow around the burning in his throat, tilted his head back a bit to keep the tears from slipping out. If you don't want to talk to me again, or, or see me anymore, because I know what I did was, was horrible, and I'm sorry, I just wanted you, um, to know that it wasn't true, 
Nothing I said that awful fucking night was true. I just wanted to protect you, to keep you away from my dad and maybe appease your family too a little bit. And I know that it wasn't my place to make that decision for you. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. He'd lost the battle with gravity, could feel the hot drip of his tears slipping down over his cheeks, emerging from under the frames of his sunglasses. I... I care about you. A lot. And if you could just give me another chance, just one opportunity to prove myself to you, I would be so, so grateful. And I wouldn't fuck it up, I swear, because now I know that nothing matters to me more than you. And maybe that's selfish, but I don't care, because I... because I... He still couldn't say it, you fucking coward. Couldn't choke out those three stupid little words. Not now, not on the street, not in broad daylight, but when he risked a glance over at Aziraphale, he found that his face had softened a little, eyes still tight but mouth looser, pulled down and... Oh. So that's what pity looked like on him. Aziraphale reached out a gloved hand, brushed the tears away from Crowley's cheek, offered him a tiny, sad smile. I need to think about it, Crowley. What you did was... it was cruel, and I need time to deal with it. Crowley just nodded, eyes cast down toward the sidewalk, Aziraphale catching his fresh tears as they slid down his cheeks. I'm not... I'm not saying no, Crowley. I just... I don't know yet. You really hurt me, and I can't pretend like nothing happened. Crowley nodded again, brought his eyes up to look at Aziraphale's face, still protected behind his sunglasses, and sniffed. You could have just told me, Crowley. You should have just told me. I know. I know I should have, but I couldn't, Aziraphale. I was so afraid, and I knew that you would try to talk me out of it. I'm so terrible at saying no to you. I thought everything would just be easier if I... if I lied. Excuses, excuses. You knew exactly what you were doing. And was it easy? Aziraphale sounded guarded, and that was fair. He was right to be cautious around Crowley. Reckless, explosive disaster that he was. No. Crowley could barely get the word out through his throat, closed tight and aching with so many things. It wasn't. It was horrible. Might even be the actual worst thing I've ever done. He huffed a self-deprecating laugh that wasn't really a laugh at all. <laughs> and I'll never stop apologizing for it, not unless you ask me to. Aziraphale smiled at that, a quieter smile than Crowley was used to, but he would have sworn that it still had that soft affection in it that he adored, and he thought, maybe. It took a while for Aziraphale to come around. Long enough that school had started up again, and Crowley had suffered three weeks' worth of lunches by himself before Aziraphale decided to talk to him again. He had said he needed space, and Crowley was doing his very best to give it to him. But before the snow started to melt, sometime in early February, Aziraphale found him during lunch one Monday, tucked away in the corner of the arts classroom, staring blankly ahead, sunglasses firmly in place, slumped over next to the radiator. 
He knew he must look miserable because he was miserable. Every joint in his body ached with loneliness, a bone-deep chill he couldn't shake. Hello. Aziraphale spoke very carefully, as though afraid Crowley might startle and flee, and settled himself down a safe couple of feet away. Crowley whipped his head up at the greeting, an expression of such ecstatic hope leaping onto his face that it should have been embarrassing. Aziraphale, good to... good to see you. How... Uh, how are you? He winced at himself, at the rasping edge to his voice, the way his heart had suddenly started to race in his chest, each beat throbbing through his head like a strobe light, distracting and overwhelming. It's my birthday today, Aziraphale offered casually, scraping the tines of his plastic fork over the textured surface of his lunch tray. Oh, happy birthday? Crowley didn't know how he was meant to respond to that, what it fucking meant that Aziraphale had finally decided to talk to him again today. And he didn't want to think it, but he couldn't help but wonder if this was Aziraphale's birthday present to himself, if this separation was hurting him the same way it hurt Crowley. Aziraphale's mouth twitched to the side like he wanted to smile, but couldn't muster up the energy for it, couldn't drag the expression onto his face. He looked like he was in pain, and it made Crowley wish he had known it was Aziraphale's birthday, could have made some sort of gesture, got him a present maybe, or wished him a happy birthday without Aziraphale needing to tell him. I've been thinking about what you said. Aziraphale was looking down, was now fiddling with his tiny carton of school-supplied orange juice. Yeah? Fuck, he really needed to get his voice under control. He was going to make an absolute fool of himself if he didn't. Yes, and I think we should try being friends again. At least for a little bit. Crowley couldn't respond for a second, utterly consumed by the sudden feeling of elation that flooded his whole body, made his fingertips buzz and his lips go numb. Okay, yeah, friends, I can do that. He would have taken anything Aziraphale offered, couldn't even make himself feel disappointed that they weren't going to be getting back together. Yet. And maybe in a while if... If I decide I can trust you again, we can try going back to how we were before. Yeah, okay. Sure, we can do that. He sounded breathless, didn't care. They were going to be friends again. He could see Aziraphale, talk to him, and for now, that would have to be enough. It was strange after that. They acted like strangers, as though they didn't know what the inside of each other's mouths tasted like, or how it felt to be as close as two people could physically be. It was as though they had rewound to the beginning of the year, were feeling each other out and reacquainting themselves with what they found. And it was Terrible, the first two weeks, spending time with Aziraphale without touching him. Trying not to let the naked affection Crowley felt for him bleed onto his face or into his voice. It was so hard to keep their time together completely platonic, to constantly censor himself and the muscle memory his body had developed for being around Aziraphale. It left Crowley exhausted after every interaction. He drank too much, got high alone in his tiny self-made garden of a living room, drove recklessly, did all the things he'd promised Aziraphale he would come to him for help with, all the things he promised he wouldn't do. And that worked. For a while. 
It reminded him that Haziraphale didn't have to save him, had, in fact, zero responsibility for Crowley. And he was just taking advantage of that, right? But he hated it, hated that he felt so fucking alone all the time, that he kept catching himself turning towards the empty space beside him, as though he expected Aziraphale to be there, smiling and bright and lovely, and he never was. It sucked. If Aziraphale just let him in again, he knew he wouldn't be doing any of it wouldn't feel like he was stuck in molasses with his brain going a hundred miles an hour, dizzy with the constant bombardment of his own desire and heartache. To be honest, at this point he was mostly just fucking tired of feeling this way. But he got a little better at it, as time went on, told himself he could be happy like this, even if he never got any more, even if this was all Aziraphale was willing to offer him. And that worked too, for a while. They had been friends, again, for nearly four weeks, winter just starting to loosen its grips on their town, the pure white fluff of snow long melted, a few dirty grey drifts of the stuff still huddling together on street corners, against houses. They were at Aziraphale's house. They'd gotten back into the habit of spending their afternoons there together, and they were currently watching a movie in his ridiculous home theatre. Crowley was being good, paying attention and not thinking about how much he wished he could pull Aziraphale against him and kiss him until his face went numb. No, he wasn't thinking about that at all, so he was taken by surprise when he felt the soft brush of fingers along his thigh, the careful tug of them against his own hand where it rested in his lap, linking their fingers together and pulling the knot of them to rest on the couch between them. Crowley wasn't sure he breathed for the rest of the movie. The first time they got high together again, in the strange limbo of old but new, you know I want you but I'll be patient, friends, was torture. They were at Aziraphale's house again, and the sun was still shining brightly outside the window. It was a Friday, they'd gotten out early from school, and Aziraphale had told him no one would be home for hours, so Crowley had offered up a joint, with a quietly mischievous quirk of his eyebrow and a smile that he hoped didn't betray the nearly painful thump of his heart at the prospect of being around Aziraphale while they were both high the strange déjà vu of it. They hadn't forgotten their routine for this, and it was so terribly easy for them to kick off their shoes, crawl over Aziraphale's bed to the window, lean halfway over the frame to exhale pungent clouds of smoke away from the room and its precious stacks of old books, kneeling shoulder to shoulder, passing the burning bit of paper back and forth between them. Crowley couldn't help but watch Aziraphale's mouth as he smoked, the way those familiar pink lips wrapped around the end of the joint, the peak of his tongue as he licked them and passed the joint back to Crowley, the soft droop of his eyelids, the way Crowley could feel the blonde unwinding next to him, could feel the tension Aziraphale had started to carry around everywhere, easing, as though each exhale carried his fears and worries away in a soft grey wash of breath. It was mesmerizing, made Crowley feel a tingly rush that had nothing to do with the drugs. He'd thought it would be fine, that he'd be able to control himself while high, that he could still keep his feelings shoved down into the little box he'd made for them, that his lowered inhibitions wouldn't make him do something stupid. 
But now that they were here, together, on Aziraphale's bed, this place they'd spent so much time together before, he just wanted to tell him, wanted so badly to confess to Aziraphale how much he wanted him, how much he missed him, how he never stopped thinking about them together, that nothing else in his life mattered more than being able to spend time with him. The bright afternoon sun blazing through the window helped, kept him from saying the things he knew he shouldn't, the things he'd stored away in some dark, unacknowledged corner of his brain, the secret place where he kept his confessions. But it was so damn hard, and each lungful of smoke blurred the edges of his control a little more, until he found himself biting his tongue savagely enough to taste the metallic coppery tang of his own blood, obsessively pinching and rubbing his fingers over Aziraphale's bedspread in an effort to distract himself from how badly he wanted to reach out and touch. When they'd smoked the joint down to nothing but a coal-bright stub, too small to even pinch between their fingers, Crowley flicked it over the sill and they lay down on Aziraphale's bed, a good foot apart and both staring dazedly at the ceiling. This, too, was part of their routine, and the worst part was how familiar it was, how Crowley could almost pretend nothing had changed between them. But the memory of the last time they'd smoked together, the things they'd done on this bed, right here, were pounding against the inside of his skull, forcing him to shut his eyes to try to concentrate on anything else, on the smell of old books, the smell of Aziraphale, the soft cotton texture of the duvet under his arms, the way his clothes fit over his skin. He could hear Aziraphale shifting around next to him, didn't dare to open his eyes, even when he felt the cautious brush of fingertips along his exposed inner forearm, a soft, barely-there brush that made his whole body break out in goosebumps. Do you remember? Aziraphale started, words slow and thick as honey. Yes. Crowley couldn't let him finish the sentence. There was nothing about Aziraphale that he didn't remember in excruciating detail, and he was pretty sure he already knew what the blonde was going to say, didn't know if he could handle being reminded of the first time they had smoked in Aziraphale's room, that time the blonde had informed him, very seriously, that he was soft, even if he thought he wasn't. He knew how accurate that statement was now, knew it was true in more ways than one. He was soft. Soft and stupid and idiotic and weak. But none of that mattered when he was with Aziraphale. He had known that Aziraphale probably wouldn't be able to stop himself from touching him if they got high together, had wanted it, even, wanted it so badly he was willing to humiliate himself for it. But now that he'd got it, it was too much. He didn't know, didn't want to know, if Aziraphale was just forgetting himself, if he was doing this on autopilot, blindly seeking sensation or if he meant it, if it was intentional. Either way, Crowley couldn't face it, kept his eyes tightly shut and tried to think about nothing. It didn't work. The tentative sweep of those soft, blunt fingers over his skin was hypnotic to Crowley, and his breathing slowed, body relaxing as he let himself drown in the feeling, stopped worrying about controlling his own responses to it. But after a precious few moments, Aziraphale yanked his hand back, muttered, Sorry. Crowley wanted to cry. He felt like a child who had just had their favorite stuffed toy ripped out of their hands and tossed in the trash, like he'd been dunked in ice water and his entire body instantly went rigid again.
It was so much worse to feel that rejection while high, his brain slow on the uptake and still trying to feel the sensation of those soft fingers over his skin, the ghost impression that Hazirafel's fingers had left behind feeling more like a brand. He opened his mouth to say something, to get his brain to pull away from the well of longing he could feel himself backsliding into, but all he managed to say was, I don't mind. Which wasn't what he wanted to say at all, and he immediately braced himself for Aziraphale's pity, which he had become unfortunately well acquainted with over the past few weeks. Aziraphale didn't say anything, didn't move, and eventually Crowley stopped waiting for a response, told himself that maybe the blonde hadn't heard him. But after a few more minutes of both of them staring silently at the ceiling, Aziraphale's hand was back, tracing up the veins of his arm as though he knew them by touch, an absent-minded brush that shot Crowley's heart back up into his throat made him squeeze his eyes shut tight. He missed Aziraphale, missed him even when they were sitting right next to each other, missed him even as his fingers swirled absently over the sensitive skin of his inner arm. Crowley hadn't known his own capacity for yearning, had never felt so completely overwhelmed by a desire before, and it took him horribly by surprise. He'd never known how much his body would crave touch, how much his heart would crave soft looks, soft words. Way back, when he'd wanted Aziraphale without actually knowing what the blonde felt like, it had been an itch, distracting, sure, but mostly ignorable. But now, oh now, Crowley knew what he was missing, and it made his skin feel like it was just a little too tight, like he could feel the sharp edge of his own bones pressing out against it. He burned. Aziraphale pulled his hand away just as quick, like touching Crowley had been an accident, something he didn't want. Crowley refused to look at him and see the regret on his face, the only self-preservation instinct he still had. As soon as his arm was free, he curled it up to his chest, pressed the still tingling skin to his heart, as though he could transfer the memory of Aziraphale's touch there. He turned onto his side, towards Aziraphale, eyes still closed, and let himself drift, concentrated on sinking his breathing with the blonde. He didn't open his eyes, not even when he heard the rustle of the sheets, the soft squeak of compressed springs as the blonde turned onto his own side, and he only knew it had happened because he could suddenly feel the soft wash of Aziraphale's breath over his face. It was too much. He couldn't have opened his eyes then, even if he'd wanted to, and he didn't, because now they were so, so close, and it didn't feel real, lying down with Aziraphale like this, close enough to feel his body heat. They weren't touching, and Crowley made sure to hold himself very, very still. The only reason he wasn't holding his breath was because he was still breathing in time with Aziraphale, and it gave him something to focus on. He was meant to be giving Aziraphale space and time, but fuck, it was difficult. He just wanted him back. Wanted it so badly it paralyzed him. And that was good, that was what he needed. He needed to be still and quiet and not let himself shake with the force of his feelings. There were so many of them, too many to hold on to at once. He was angry that he had let this happen, that he'd done this to his fucking self, made it so Aziraphale wouldn't trust him. And of course he was sad, sad that he'd lost Aziraphale, maybe permanently, because he'd panicked and done something stupid and then hid himself away from it for two weeks. Stupid. He'd never felt more like a junkie than he did around Aziraphale. 
He was so weak for him, would do anything to get more time together, got strung out and weird when they were apart too long, made himself sick with wanting. It felt like a disease was so much worse than how Crowley had pined for him when they first became friends. He knew what he wanted now, knew how it felt to be given it freely, could feel the ghost of kisses and brushes of fingers and tiny, private smiles. This was definitely hell. Crowley had fucking died in that goddamn field on Boxing Day, and this was his punishment, his sentence of eternal suffering. He knew he was perhaps being a bit dramatic about the whole thing. But it hurt. It was two hours later when Crowley jerked awake. The sun was just beginning to set outside, the soft wash of it lighting everything up, golden and warm. Aziraphale had fallen asleep as well, was still breathing slow and even, still lying on his side next to Crowley, one hand curled loosely on the bed between them, as though he'd been reaching out before he'd fallen asleep and then thought better of it. He looked beautiful. His curls were perfectly backlit, gold-touched white, like he actually really did have a halo. Crowley let himself stare, because Aziraphale was asleep, would never know. He let his eyes trace the gentle slope of Aziraphale's nose, the way it turned up just a bit at the end, the perfect divot of his philtrum. Let them wander up the brush of his eyelashes over his cheek, the blonde strands usually nearly invisible, lit gold in the sun. Crowley watched, rapt, as Aziraphale smacked his lips together in sleep, gently adjusting the set of his jaw. It was sappy and stupid and pointless to stare this way, to memorize his features and think that each one was perfect, but Crowley loved him, and now he had to deal with that feeling on his own, and he would take what he could get. It was a few days later when Crowley asked to kiss him again for the first time. They were sprawled out on Aziraphale's bed, swinging their legs back and forth over the side like little kids, laughing as they tried to think of the most innuendo-laden book titles they could. Moby Dick had been Crowley's first suggestion, low-hanging fruit that it was. Aziraphale responded with a hesitant, Grapes of Wrath? Which had Crowley rolling over, clutching at his sides as he laughed, rib finally healed enough not to ache with every breath, but not quite whole enough to withstand his gale-force laughter. What? I think it could count. If that counts, then Treasure Islands should too. Hard times? <laughs> it's a Dickens. Call of the Wild, does that count? I love Dick. Oh, do you now? Shut up, it's a real book. No fucking way, I don't believe you. No, it is. Maybe I've got a copy around here somewhere, I'll prove it to you. You would have a copy of I Love Dick just lying around, wouldn't you? Shut up, Crowley. But they were both laughing, curled toward each other on the bed, and suddenly all Crowley wanted in the world was to kiss him. He froze, laughter cut short, and Haziraphale turned, lazy smile still in place. What? Can I... can I kiss you? Crowley whispered, because maybe if he said it quietly enough, Aziraphale would say yes. The blonde looked at him considerately for a moment, then turned away, smile sliding into a look Crowley was now uncomfortably familiar with. It was that fucking pity again, and every time he saw it, he knew it meant no, meant you're going too fast for me, meant 
I still need more time. And Crowley refused to push it, would wait all the way up to the day Aziraphale left for college if that was all he could get. No, not, not yet. Okay, maybe next time. Then Crowley went and got the flu, because of course he did, driving around in the freezing cold with his shoddy excuse for a jacket not even zipped close. Reckless idiot. He was bedridden for nearly a week, dizzy and confused with fever. His father took one look at him, pathetically tangled in his blanket, soaked through with sweat, clutching his head in his hands and groaning and walked out. You stay the fuck away from me with that contagion shit. I'm not about to let you infect me with whatever you've got, you hear? It's your own damn fault for getting ill, and I won't sit around your damn sick bed and play nurse to your dumb ass, Anthony. Then muttered under his breath, Disgusting. The slam of the door behind him set Crowley's teeth on edge, made his ears ring as he slumped over to his side. Some undetermined amount of time later, Crowley woke to a soft tap at the door, croaked out a hello, and was rewarded with a soft Crowley? It's me! Are you all right? You weren't at lunch today and I... Even ill as he was, hearing Aziraphale standing outside his door sent a bolt of panic through him. He had told Aziraphale not to come over anymore, especially not unannounced. Crowley's father was not something he was willing to bargain Aziraphale's safety on, and how could the blonde have been so stupid as to risk coming here? He couldn't possibly have known that Crowley's dad wasn't home, had left only a few hours ago. Zeravel, what? I told you not to come over here, it's not... He was interrupted by a fit of dry coughs that made his ribs creak in protest, and he groaned at the familiar ache. Not safe. I know, Crowley, but I was worried. Can I come in? No, I'm sick. Go away. Crowley turned on his side away from the door, curled up miserably and coughed again, weakly. He should just go back to sleep. Crowley! Aziraphale's voice sounded much closer than it had any right to be, and Crowley threw himself over onto his back, tried to ignore the way it made his head spin, glaring up at the blonde who had apparently decided to let himself in. Angel, I said. You look terrible. Crowley grunted in response. Yeah, thanks for that. Feel pretty shit too. Can I get you anything? Maybe some water? Or food? Crowley sighed. He really should tell Aziraphale to leave. There was no telling whether or not his father might change his mind and decide to come back. But he wanted Aziraphale there, wanted to be taken care of, to be fussed over, just a little bit. Can I get some water? He eventually mumbled, and Aziraphale was immediately bustling over to the kitchen and filling a cup from the tap. He returned and brushed a hand over Crowley's forehead as he handed him the cup, gasping out a soft, Oh, you poor thing! You're burning up! Crowley just glared at him weakly, swallowing the water despite the tuck on his sore throat as he swallowed. You must have some sort of fever medicine around here somewhere. Aziraphale was ignoring him, wandering toward the bathroom, and a moment later Crowley could hear him rummaging around in a drawer, a telltale rattling of a bottle of pills being shaken. Ah, this should do. Aziraphale returned, small plastic bottle in hand, shook out two pills and offered them to Crowley. Here, 
Take these. Crowley didn't even bother to check what they were, just obediently popped them into his mouth and swallowed them with the last of the water. You should get some sleep, Crowley. I'll come back tomorrow and see how you're doing. But before he could step away, Crowley's hand shot out and grabbed one of Aziraphale's sleeves, crumpling the fabric in the tight grip of his fist. Don't go. It slipped out before he could stop himself, and he was too exhausted and sick to do anything but stare at Aziraphale beseechingly once he'd said it. He wasn't going to take it back, and if Aziraphale wanted to hold that against him, well... He was ill. He was allowed a little weakness. Crowley, I don't think that's a very good idea. What if your dad comes home? Aziraphale finally said, prying Crowley's fingers off of his sleeve. He was right, damn him. Why was he always fucking right? Crowley let his hand be pulled away, dropped it to the bed as though it weighed fifty pounds once Aziraphale had released it. No, you're right. Forget I asked. He turned away, closed his eyes and tried to force himself to fall asleep instantly. It didn't work. He could still hear Aziraphale standing there next to his fold-out bed, not moving. Suddenly, the thin mattress behind him dipped and his eyes shot open. He turned over to watch as Aziraphale settled himself against the back of the couch that served as the headboard, crossing his ankles and folding his hands into his lap primly. I'll stay for a little bit, just until you fall asleep. Crowley closed his eyes again and slowly, cautiously brought up one hand to pinch the fabric of Aziraphale's trousers between two fingers. Just the barest anchor. When he woke, hours later, sweating and confused in the disorientingly dark room, Aziraphale was gone. But the next day, Aziraphale came back. And the day after that, and the one after that. Crowley would be dozing, strange bright dreams and a pulsing irreality to the world, and then there would be a soft knock at the door. Sometimes he would hear it distorted, loud and angry, would think his dad was back, would think someone had come to take him away, that someone had finally noticed his poor performance in school and the consequences had finally caught up to him. But it was always Aziraphale, soft and lovely and comforting. He would bring soup, or a book, or tea, or just himself, would sit up next to Crowley on the fold-out couch of his bed, would brush the sweaty tangle of his hair away from his forehead and read aloud to him, or just sit in silence, would fetch him damp cloths to try and cool him down, tutting and fussing like a mother hen. Delirious, Crowley would tell him ridiculous things, would ask Aziraphale with a strange edge to his voice if he looked human, kept sticking out his tongue and trying to look at it, told Aziraphale he was checking for demon things, kept nudging his rib on accident and being shocked by the pain. He had the same nightmare over and over where he was burning, or no, Aziraphale was burning, they both were burning, and he would wake up drenched in sweat, chest heaving because he couldn't breathe, imagined smoke filling his lungs and staining them black as pitch, crying out for Aziraphale in a hoarse shout. Sometimes he would be sitting right there, trying desperately to get Crowley to hear him, telling him over and over, I'm right here, Crowley, please stop screaming. Crowley, listen to me. Crowley, you're fine. Please calm down, you're scaring me. 
It must have been terrifying for Aziraphale, who couldn't do anything but sit by his side, every so often offering him more medicine to try and quell the fever, pills that Crowley barely managed to choke down. Aziraphale forced him to drink cup after cup full of water, took his temperature at least twice per visit. He would leave when Crowley drifted off for the night, or when he had to go home for some reason or other, would tuck Crowley in and leave more water, more pills, assured him that he would be back tomorrow. In the middle of the week, during the worst of it, he held Crowley, when the ache in his head and in his body got to be too much, and he sobbed with it, terrible exhausted tears, begging Aziraphale to make it stop hurting. Aziraphale swayed back and forth with Crowley slumped against him, shushing him gently and patting his hair, and it helped. Aziraphale's hands shook, but Crowley didn't notice. The only thing Crowley regretted about it was being too sick to enjoy it, but not sick enough to have blocked it out completely. Having Aziraphale care for him again, having him there every day, offering comfort and attention and the steadiness of himself, was terrible to lose. Again. He got better in tiny little increments, and by the end of the week, Aziraphale was only coming over for a moment to check on him, drop off homework that Crowley never did. It nearly made him wish he was still sick. Enough to need attending to, enough to warrant Aziraphale's full attention. Sick enough to pull him in, fill the awful, gaping wound inside his chest where the blonde refused to fit himself back into the hole he'd left. But, Crowley told himself, it's better than nothing. And he was right, but he hated it. Hated the flu, hated his stupid rib for healing so slowly, hated the slow retreat of winter, hated Aziraphale and his stupid kindness. Mostly, he hated himself.